0: Welcome to Walk on the Wild Side. I'm Crispin Baines and I'm your host. I'm also one of the founding members of the Wild. On this episode, we're chatting with Chip Conley, who needs no introduction. He's a hotelier, hospitality entrepreneur, author and speaker. He's also recently launched the Modern Elder Academy in Baja, and we get into that on the show. It's a far-reaching conversation with Chip. We get into all sorts, anti-ageism and how do you make maturity aspirational. We talk about social entrepreneurship. We talk about growing whole, not old, diversity rites of passage, we get into flow, gap years, and the power of dreaming. We really hope you enjoy this conversation. Thanks for listening, and stay wild. Okay, well, Chip, uh, thanks for for joining us in your beautiful beautiful home. Thank you. Uh, Welcome to Walk on the Wild Side. Yeah, welcome Uh, to Austin. Thank you very much. It's great to be here. Uh, we've seen each other in uh, San Francisco and in New York, um, and uh, and it's great to, to actually be here in Austin. And, uh, and, yes. and as I said, thanks for, for welcoming us in your in your home. So, what's going on with you? How are you? I'm good. I um, I'm not eating this week. <laughs> okay. I'm in. Well, you look a, great.
1: I'm in it. Well, I don't know. I feel a little groggy, but um, I'm in a nutrition program, so I have. Um, I have intermediate stage prostate cancer. Mm-hmm. So I'm in a place called the Optimum Health Institute, which mm-hmm. is outside of Austin. And I'm commuting there each day. And uh, it's basically a week-long fast and cleanse. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I'm doing that this week. And um, other than that, I'm doing pretty well. Okay. And, and actually, I'm sort of enjoying the cleanse. I, right. I do feel groggy, but I appreciate the fact that it sort of cleans my system out.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, Yeah, absolutely. And what are your hopes for the cleanse?
1: I mean, more than anything, I think, you know, it's been a year since I actually got the diagnosis Mm. and it came out of left field. It was a big surprise and it really threw me for a loop because I, I'm 58 now, I was 57 then and the diagnosis and prognosis was not good, Um, but especially for my age, Mm. but I guess I feel, I feel like I've spent the last year being almost out of my body, like almost being, feeling betrayed by my body, but you know the idea of integrating all of this back in and being healthy and using my immune system to actually fight this is not a bad idea. And,
0: and how has this sort of reframed how you're looking at things and prioritizing?
1: Well, it actually, it's interesting. My body has spoken to me before and, um, I had a flatline experience at age 47 when I no longer wanted to be running Joie de Vivre, my boutique hotel company. Mm -hmm. And, um, it wasn't a heart attack. It was a bacterial infection in my leg after a broken ankle that led to some antibiotics, and I had an, aller- an allergic reaction. So I sometimes feel like my body is a governor of how I should be operating. Uh-huh. And I, a year ago, was sort of pedal to the metal uh, with my Modern Elder Academy, yep. or our Modern Elder Academy, which I'll talk about. And we were looking at a second and a third location. We were about to sign a deal for the second location, and then I got this diagnosis, and I said, you know what? let's slow down a little bit. right. let's yeah. like, you know. and so i do feel like sometimes your body is a teacher.
0: Uh-huh.
1: and in this case cancer is a teacher. it's a, t- it's a teacher that i look forward to graduating from. <laughs>
0: <laughs> absolutely.
1: but uh yeah, i think you have to look at the signs sometimes along the way that there's uh, especially your body says when you're out of out of out of balance and yeah. i think that's where i was. yeah,
0: absolutely. Um well thanks for that and and one of the areas I wanted to to get into was um some of the some of the later work and I'm sure we'll we'll, we'll dive into some of your earlier work because you've uh, you've you've championed um um uh, uh the identity refreshment uh mm-hmm. business yes. with Rodger and you've championed the belong anywhere business you've done your with homework A, with Airbnb <laughs> and uh, and now you're in the wisdom cultivation business yes. and, and one of the um, the things I read about you is that um, when you were asked, you know, how you how you'd like to be remembered, uh, one of the answers w- answers was um, around making maturity aspirational, yeah. and and you know we've chosen that as the mission for for the Wild. We think it's really important yeah. um, to tackle this ism that we still have ageism. So I'm really interested to to get your thoughts on how we can start to change this social narrative. You know what has to happen to recorrect it both as individuals and, and perhaps as companies?
1: Well, let's let's start by saying that I think it's really interesting that social science has proven that there's almost like a, a, a gap between the personal narrative and the societal narrative. Mm-hmm. We have something called the U-curve of happiness. Mm-hmm. It's been around for years, um, but it's actually gotten popularized in the last five or ten years. What it shows is that actually uh, we as adults tend to actually hit a skid for happiness and contentment contentment between about age 25 to 45. Mm -hmm. And then at 45 to 50, something happens, and we hit a bottom, and actually in our 50s, we're happier than our 40s, 60s, happier than 50s, 70s, happier than 60s. Right. So that is at odds with the idea that somehow um, our life societally, the way we look at it in terms of aging is we actually hit midlife, and then it's deterioration and, and, and disease after that. And um, so I think one of the things we're trying to do uh, with my books and with the academy is to help people to realize that they have a lot more life ahead of them than they think they do. Uh-huh. And therefore, they the last thing they need to do is start closing down options. Right. So yeah. if, if, if I do the math, uh, I have been projected to live till age 98 by mm-hmm. a couple different... Um, Online surveys. Now they're not scientific, and who knows? With my cancer diagnosis, you know that was a little scary. Like, hey, wait, I'm supposed to live till ninety eight. I've got cancer. What's going on? But if I do live till ninety eight, and I'm fifty eight today, and if I start counting at age eighteen, I'm basically at halftime for my adult life. And most people don't think that way. Most people don't even our, our perspective on longevity is very old fashioned, based upon maybe how long our parents or grandparents lived. But we may live longer, and if we are, and and hopefully going to be healthier longer, so that elderly, which is different than an elder, is maybe the last five to seven years of our life. Mm -hmm. But what that means is, gosh, I learned how to surf recently, and I'm learning Spanish. and So these are things that generally in your late 50s, you don't try. But if you know you have that much life ahead of you, um, it allows you to think, wow, you know, maybe aging and maturity can be aspirational. Mm-hmm. So um, it's been it's been beautiful. It's mm-hmm. it's opened people's eyes to the idea that moving into elderhood, just like moving into adulthood, mm-hmm. is something you can be excited
0: about. Hundred percent, I couldn't agree more. And you know, perhaps it's just as simple as just casting it aside and saying we're just not going to use age. As, as satchel page uh in terms
1: of the idea of not using age satchel page is famous for this so right. satchel page was a major league baseball player uh in the u.s um uh baseball major leagues and so he didn't know his age he was um his 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 coach actually you no know, it was the cleveland indians owner took him down to mobile alabama to find out like how old is he turns out he was 42 years old. He entered the major leagues at age 42 years old. He'd been in the Negro Baseball League. He came into the U.S. Uh, uh, base, major leagues at age 42, and he was there till age 59. And his famous quote was, what age would you be if you didn't know how old you were? Right, right. And it's sort of an interesting thing. Yeah. You know, it's like we, we, age is a metric that we tend to use. Mm-hmm. Uh, maturity is not a metric we use. Wisdom is not a metric we use. Yeah. And and so in some ways what's more valuable is the thing that's harder to measure, uh-huh. uh, maturity and uh, wisdom. And so age is uh, chronological, it's a yeah. number, um, but it doesn't speak to a lot of things. Yeah. And, and, and truly, uh, there's a lot of evidence that shows that age and wisdom are not necessarily proportional, right. which is surprising. You think, okay, well, the older you get, the wiser you get. Well, if you don't cultivate and harvest your wisdom, mm-hmm. you aren't necessarily getting any wiser.
0: That's true. Absolutely. So it's on each of us as individuals, but then perhaps also as a, a, with everybody reframing their own view of the, of the life course, then, then, and then perhaps society comes into line with it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this is maybe a good time to talk about the Academy. Why we created it. Is that okay? That would be
0: great to go there. Yeah. I mean, for, 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 for listeners who don't know about the Academy, I'm really looking forward to coming down in November. Thank you. Um, but please give us an overview and, and yeah.
1: You know, the thing is, we, the word adolescence is only 115 years old.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Prior to 115 years ago, that word didn't exist. And when someone actually moved, a child moved to, into puberty, they were thought at puberty, they're a, an adult. And this is part of the reason at age 13 or 14 or 15, people went off and worked in mines and factories. Right. They got married. They had babies before they were 18. So it was uh, a psychologist named Stanley Hall who created that book. And after that book came out, uh, society created schools and tools to help people through adolescence in preparation for adulthood. So there's a new word that actually is about 20 to 30 years old called middle essence. Now, it's not popularized yet. It's only in academia. So middle essence is perceived as the corollary to adolescence. Mm-hmm. So adolescence, <clears throat> you go through emotional and physical and hormonal changes you you do that in middle essence as well so midlife you have some changes as well but we actually haven't helped people to see that this is the preparation for elderhood Mm -hmm. and frankly most people don't look forward to elderhood and therefore no one wants a preparation for it and 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 certainly elderhood's different than it was a hundred years ago we'll Mm -hmm. we'll talk about that but i think it's time we have some schools and tools that help prepare people Mm -hmm. for this transitional era Mm -hmm. Uh, And so we created the world's first midlife wisdom school. Uh I think there'll be lots and lots of midlife wisdom schools because we're all going to live longer. Yep. uh, Well, on average, Um, power is moving younger in a digital society and the world is changing faster. So older, younger, faster. That creates a dynamic where a lot of people in midlife feel irrelevant and obsolescent. Mm And so creating a school where people can actually cultivate and harvest their wisdom Mm -hmm. and repurpose that mastery that they've developed Mm -hmm. in new ways is necessary. And that's what the Modern Elder Academy does. Mm -hmm. We have a campus that's about three to four acres um, of oceanfront Mm -hmm. uh, an hour north of Cabo San Lucas in Baja, California, which is Mexico.
0: Yeah, I think it's really prescient, you know, (laughs) where... We're fascinated with the concept of, of, there's a difference, you know, there's there's the notion of getting old, which is the traditional view where you look at aging as some sort of event to be confronted. Mm -hmm. And then there's growing old, which is, requires grace and skill, but planning and and, and just looking at it through those different lenses. Um, Well, I also like saying sometimes not just growing old, but also growing
1: whole. Right. And there's an interesting element to the growing whole. What does that mean? So, one of the one of the things that Carl Jung has talked about is sort of the operating systems of the body and, and, the, and the human. And there's an operating system that I think goes from adolescence to middle essence, which is the operating system of the ego. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the ego helps you to individuate from your family, your parents, as, as a kid. And we know about puberty, how people individuate, and like, I, I, you know, I'm, don't tell me what to do. And that ego sort of serves us, and maybe doesn't serve us at times, um, all of our adulthood up to middle essence, right. up to midlife. And then it starts to fade or right. it can start to fade. I think its actual natural history is meant for it to fade. And the, your soul or spirit is supposed to really sort of start to actually um, gravitate and, right. and be the predominant thing. So in some ways, the idea of moving from the uh, this, through middle essence is the idea of actually creating a new operating system right. for what defines you and how you operate. And the defining system of the soul means that your mind, your body, your soul are more integrated, Mm -hmm. which is, you know, to be integrated is one way of describing someone growing whole.
0: Yeah, that's great. Um, And I read that, you know, some of the exercises that you do in the workshops at the Academy involve mindset reframing. And I'm interested if, the, if, if you can tell us about any of the um, takeaways or learnings that have happened with the early students that have come through um, that perhaps we could all learn from.
1: Sure. Uh, so we opened the Modern Elder Academy uh, in January of 2018 for six months of beta to just see if it worked. Mm-hmm. We were the first of its kind in the world. Uh, we had a 160-page curriculum. It was only focused on midlife. Was this going to work? And we got a big thumbs up from the 150 people who Mm -hmm. went through the program. It's a one-week program. And then we opened November uh, to the public uh, in November 2018. And we've now had 500 people from 17 countries go through the program. The predominant thing that we actually help people with is this idea of how do you shift your mindset Mm -hmm. around aging. Now, uh, a woman named Carol Dweck, a, a psychologist from Stanford, wrote a book many years ago called Mindset. And she was able to point out that, generally speaking, there are two kinds of mindsets. Mm-hmm. There's a fixed mindset and a growth mindset. Mm-hmm. And the fixed mindset means that you tend to focus on um, proving yourself. Mm-hmm. And so you tend you tend to focus on things that you know you're going to win. So success is right. defined by winning. So what, what does that mean? It means you tend to, as you get older, be less inclined to try new things. Now, a growth mindset is... Uh, is not focused so much on proving yourself. It's focused on improving yourself. And that means that you're actually willing to try new things. And, um, as I am doing right now, learning to surf badly and learning Spanish, getting better. But I think the idea that we help people to shift into a growth mindset at a time in life where they're actually starting to feel like their options are closing down Mm -hmm. is really key. Um, and It helps people to sort of imagine how to become a beginner. Um, There's a word word that I didn't know uh, when I started writing my book, Wisdom at Work, The Making of a Modern Elder, which is called liminal. Mm -hmm. When someone's in a liminal space, it means they're in a transition, in limbo. And midlife is one of those transitions. We just haven't sort of seen it as such. And there's a whole bunch of transitions that happen in midlife. You can go through a health diagnosis like I'm going through mm-hmm. right now. You can become an empty nester with your kids. You can get divorced. You can change a job. You can change location. You can have your parents pass away. Yep. Uh, you can have menopause or men have andropause. These are all things that happen in midlife, and yet we have very little in the way of ritual or rite, rite of passage mm-hmm. that help create a social crucible that supports people through a transitional time.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's great. and. Yeah. Um, one of the things I love about the academy is that you, there's this, you've got great diversity. I know it's a, um, it's a social uh, organization and, and you do a lot of scholarship. And, and what that's translated into is, you know, um, investment bankers walking down yes. the beach with social workers. And it, it seems like some of the themes and some of the lessons and the takeaways are universal, you know.
1: They're universal, but they actually may come from someone else in the group. So the, the, the cohort's 18 people, mm-hmm. uh, 16 to 18. And... One of, one of our, our head of education, Jeff, has said, uh, "Wisdom isn't taught; it's shared." And what that really means is, yes, we do have two co-leaders, and there's a curriculum, but so much of the learning happens in a social environment. Right. And that the that's why diversity, um, both racial, gender, social, economic, um, is particularly interesting because it means sometimes you're going to learn from somebody who's had a very different life experience. Mm-hmm. But they're at a similar stage in life. And the example you just used, the investment banker, he was 45, he was wealthy, he was retired, he had a lot of money, but very little purpose. Right. The 62-year-old social worker, she had a lot of purpose, but not a lot of money, and was worried about her retirement. So the, every morning they'd go for a walk on the beach, and it, they were not assigned to actually learn from each right. other. But within the first day, even though they'd lived very different worlds, he lived in New York, she lived in Kansas, there was an element of they were going to learn something from each other.
0: Yeah. I think that that's when the magic happens, <coughs> when you set up, set up the, the organization. So, you said that it could become a category as big as the spa, uh, as, as big as Canyon Ranch developed the, the spa category. It's not a great example. Well, Canyon um, Ranch but...
1: developed a spa category. I mean, can, spas have been around forever, but Canyon mm-hmm. Ranch sort of recreated um, the spa category right, 40 yeah. years ago. And I think, well, there's not a recreation here because there's not r- really a, uh, a Midlife Wisdom School category that's ever existed. Frankly, let's recognize that midlife is sort of a modern novelty. Sure. Um, in the U.S., the average longevity was forty-seven uh, in the year two, in the year nineteen hundred, and that grew to seventy-seven by the year two thousand. So we added three decades mm-hmm. in one century, and that's why midlife sort of became an, a new idea. Mm-hmm. Um, pretty much, you know, the 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 term midlife crisis is fifty-four years old. So yeah. in nineteen sixty-five, that's when it got created but we've done very little since then yeah. to actually address it.
0: Yeah. And if somebody wanted to get involved in, in helping to build the, the category or promote the the, the, the academy, how, how would that work?
1: Well, I mean, there's lots of ways to do it. They can, they can come to the academy and, and experience it. We've had a number of people come from various parts of the world who say we like to create our own version of this. Mm-hmm. And it's funny. I've been a for-profit entrepreneur my whole life, and so now I'm a social entrepreneur, mm-hmm and a for-profit entrepreneur goes out and tries to find a customer need and then fill it whereas a social a social entrepreneur finds a society need and then fills it so i'm really encouraged by the idea that we could be a catalyst for other people i'm not i'm not trying to be competitive and see how many dots on the map right. we can have my my goal with the the academy is to help incentivize or catalyze other people to go out and create theirs or they can come and learn from us and they can say, gosh, I want to go out and be a, a modern elder coach out right. there in the world. Yeah. And uh, we are in the process of, we're starting to set up some master elders. Right. We're basically people who are coaches who actually help people to learn how to cultivate that wisdom.
0: Yeah. I think that would be a, a beautiful and organic way to, to, to start to spread the movement. Mm-hmm. I'm fascinated by this notion of rituals you mentioned earlier. And, you know, you... you you 've very rightly said that the more digital get we get, the more ritual we need, and there is an absence of of ritual in midlife and so um, i don 't know if you 've workshopped that at the academy or even in your own head, but if you were a midlife ritual designer yes. let 's say what what kind of things would you would you come up with
1: well let me i 'll take two or three that I, we do at the academy, and then somebody could do this at home, so you don 't have to come to the academy to ritualize your midlife. We do an exercise. Where people have a bunch of name tags on a table, and uh, the name if you were to do this by yourself you you would just have empty name tags, and you would write down on there what is it what's a mindset or an identity or a way of looking at oneself that you're ready to get rid of so you might write on on a name tag mm, my best days are behind me, or my body is starting to fail me, or I am invisible so write a few down and then put them on your chest. Mm -hmm. Now, if you were to do this, let's say you did this with a friend um, and they're similarly in midlife and they they put actually a few on their chest, you put a few on your chest, these basically these name tags. Um, Then spend a moment just looking at each other's name tags. Mm -hmm. Um, Then give each other a little bit of eye contact, you know, really recognize what you're seeing in this other person. Mm -hmm. Um, And then sit down and on a piece of paper... Uh, write down those mindsets or other things that are no longer serving you. Um, mm-hmm. Carl Jung, who I'm a big believer in, is a psychologist, pretty much said you can't live the, this is paraphrasing him, you can't live the afternoon of, the, of your life based upon the rules of the morning. And so some of the ways you used to look at things, like looking at your body as being mm-hmm. the the definition of success, mm-hmm. may not be the operating system or the 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 way you want to look at your life um, as, as what it defines success anymore. Once you've actually written down these, um, these things that you want to let go of, go to a fireplace. You may have a fireplace in your home or somewhere else or maybe literally at some local restaurant. Right. There may be an outdoor fire pit. Go with your friend to the fire pit and throw your little piece of paper in the fire and then acknowledge that those things that were not serving you um, are no longer there. Now, yeah. that doesn't necessarily mean they're gone, but it does mean you've actually created a ritual. Mm-hmm. And the r- value of ritual is there's, you can look at it as a point in time. Um, one of the values of coming and, and having our, our academy in Mexico where only about 3 to 5% of our, our people who actually come are from Mexico mm-hmm. is it allows people to go to a foreign land. Right. Um, and there's a ritual to say I, before academy and then after academy. So this, like, mm-hmm. you know, for this fire pit, there's a before fire pit and afterward. Right. Um, what's another thing you could do? You could, if you're a woman and you're mid-50s or, you're, you know, let's say you're in menopause and you have a couple of friends in menopause, have a menopause weekend. Go off with your friends and go to some little, it, it doesn't have to be a resort. It could be literally just a, an Airbnb home in the yeah. country that you go and you cook and you just talk about the history of your relationship with menstruation or or with your femininity yeah. and, and how this is shifting. Uh, it, you could do an empty nest party um, where you and a bunch of friends uh, get together and have a party like your teenagers yeah. because your, your teenagers are no longer there. Yeah. They've moved out and celebrate the idea that, okay, this is a new era. Mm-hmm. Um so I, I you know you could do a graduation ceremony because you went back in your late 40s to school yeah. and you decided to actually go and get a degree a master's degree a one year master's degree and you're going to do a graduation ceremony well you go to a graduation ceremony but you have your friends come to it and then you actually have a graduation party at your home yeah. so just know that these ideas of of social ritual mm. and people supporting you is part of the reason why during puberty during uh, adolescence to adulthood, which is usually 18 years old, during uh, Mm -hmm. you're going to get married, Mm -hmm. you you have a wedding, Mm -hmm. you're going to have a baby, you have a baby shower, uh, you have a funeral after after you die. We have these um, ceremonies, these rituals that help support people through these transitional times, but we don't do that during midlife
0: no i think it's 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 right, and, and life goes fast and there's lots going on, and it sounds like the you have to approach it with honesty, you know whatever you're writing on yourself you 've got to really be honest and face up to it it 's <clears throat> got to be intentional, but I love the the just the action of doing it sets an intention, doesn't it the
1: r- idea of a rite of passage is um similarly about one hundred ten years old mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. adolescence and th- there this guy named Arnold van Genep studied um basically rites of passage in in indigenous societies. And what he was able to show was that people have sort of three phases. Mm. There's the process of separation. um, There's the process of going through the transition. And then there's the actual reintroduction back in society. Uh, Joseph Campbell, uh, the famous mythologist, turned that into the hero's journey. And George Lucas basically used it in how he created his, his Star Wars movies. And most filmmakers use this sort of rite of passage the idea of separation, the challenge of transition being liminal, and this idea of coming back in society. If we thought of our midlife and some of our transitions in that light, then we would actually be able to evolve out of what no longer serves us um, into what is coming in the future in a way more adeptly and, and more quickly. More quickly.
0: Right. right. I love that. It's almost about smart people coming up with new ways to get back to time on
1: Things. Yes. Yeah. You know, exactly.
0: It's, I think there's something really, really beautiful in that. So let's um, switch gears a little bit and talk about work. You know, you've had sure. a lot of impact in in, in helping um, people of all ages um, and companies to think about the or rethink about the benefits of um, of older workers mm-hmm. against younger workers and the differences that both people um, um, of with life experience and, and younger people bring to the party. I guess one of the ways to to, to think it through, I'd love to get your thoughts on is, Let's say I'm the CEO of a Fortune 500 company Mm -hmm. and um, you've coined a great term chief uh, wisdom officer. Uh, Yes. Why do I need a chief wisdom officer? You know, what's the job description look like and, and who should apply?
1: I would say that if a CEO was looking for wisdom in their company, they don't necessarily have to go straight to having a chief wisdom officer. Could you get to a place where you had that? You could, but it actually could be somebody who already has a role. In the company, at Airbnb, I was the head of global hospitality and strategy. But I also was known as the chief wisdom officer because that's what Brian, the CEO, looked for from me. I think one of the things that a company could do that's really thoughtful and sharp is to ask a new question on their employee satisfaction survey that they may do every three months or once a year. Ask the question to all of your employees, beyond your boss who in the company do you look to for advice or wisdom? And then once you actually have all of that data, you can see and almost create a heat map of where wisdom resides in your company. So rather than feeling like you have to create a chief wisdom officer, you can know that there are these 15 people in the company who are by and f- by and, uh, large, the 15 people that people go to for advice and wisdom. Mm-hmm. Then you could ask yourself as a company, how do we institutionalize these 15 people to have a broader role in the company so that their wisdom is not almost just stuck in a little archaeological dig Mm -hmm. in a certain part. Like, how do you mine that wisdom so everybody can get it? And I think we're starting to see more companies look at that. Uh, Procter & Gamble has created a mastery society for decades where they actually look at this idea. And then they say, okay, let's actually train these people to be internal coaches and consultants and maybe even mentors. Mm-hmm. So they cut back the scope of work of what they were doing such that they're more available to actually provide that wisdom mm-hmm. to other people and sometimes to other teams, especially if, like, let's say a team is struggling with a, a, something, they might actually parachute uh, one of these um, th- these wise people in the organization right. in to help that team. Right. So I, I, the idea that wisdom is... I don't think it needs to reside in a singular, singular person. So I think the idea of a chief wisdom officer is a good one. Um, I would say if they sort of are the Yoda character <laughs> that, that is sort of stuck in, you know, in, a, in an office and people just come to them when they are looking for troubles, I think, uh, or when they have a trouble, I think that's probably not having them integrated enough. Yeah. And I think there are many people in the organization who could have that role.
0: And I think the benefits are clear. And let's look at it from the other perspective now. I remember you said that when you started at Airbnb, it was exciting, but you were also nervous and, and, oh, and sure. because, you know, you were the, there's lots of things you knew uh, that you knew you knew inherently. There's lots of stuff that you didn't know. Yeah. And so if you were coaching an older person who was coming into that type of role or perhaps is feeling less relevant yeah. in their workplace, what would you be coaching them on? You know, I
1: write it in the book, and at the Academy we also use this as sort of our, our template for the week um, of learning, is there's, I think, four lessons and four, uh, four stages. The first is you, you evolve. So this is hard. A lot of people, when they're older, feel like the first thing they do to go to is advice, giving people advice, because I, I'm so learned and wise, I'm just going to dispense advice. Right. But instead, I actually think you start with, actually, what is it that's no longer serving you? What is it that you need to his, sort of strategically edit Out of your identity. For me at Airbnb, I was a longtime boutique hotelier coming into a a home sharing company. A lot of my historical knowledge about hotels wasn't all that valuable in a home sharing environment. And so instead of actually talking about what I knew about hotels, I actually needed to figure out the context So I think being curious is essential. So evolving is key. And I also had to evolve from being CEO of my own company for 24 years to now reporting to a guy who I was also mentoring who was 21 years younger than me, the CEO. So I think evolving is key because it creates a little bit of humility. The second lesson is to learn. So what I would recommend to people who are older and they are feeling a little bit like they're out of they're no longer relevant, Mm -hmm. is actually what could you get curious about? How can you learn something new? And so at Airbnb, I'd never worked in a tech company before. At age 52, I joined six and a half years ago. And so I was like, wow, okay, I've got to learn a few new things. And that's the second lesson. The third lesson is to collaborate. Generally speaking, and if you're surrounded by younger people in the organization you're in, you're going to find that actually they've not learned team sports, <laughs> and right. I don't mean literally team sports from high school or younger, but I mean the team sports in the context of work, mm-hmm. and that collaboration is you know is a really key part of any company, mm-hmm. even a tech company. So using some of your emotional intelligence, which is a, a skill that you grow as you age, um, in a collaboration environment is going to be helpful, and that brings you to the fourth thing, you know, being a counselor, mm-hmm. and being an advisor, being a mentor. Go to that fourth. <laughs> Earn that. Right. Don't go straight. If you go straight to people looking to give them advice, even if they haven't asked for it, um, you will seem to be a parent or a preacher. Uh, and most people, you know, most younger people aren't, don't want to listen to a parent right. or a preacher. Right. So I think the key to know is that um, you probably have some great advice to give. Yeah. But go out and show yourself to be as curious as you are wise.
0: Right.
1: And that to me is the shorthand definition of a modern elder. Right so modern elder is not re- regarded for their you know with reverence, which is what traditional elders were. And, you know you revered your elders. Um, no, actually a modern elder is all about relevance. so it's not reverence but it's relevance and relevance requires um, an ability to understand context. Mm-hmm. so you need to be curious about mm-hmm. how the world's changing so you can apply your timeless wisdom in the context of where you are, right. But that means you actually have to go and learn the
0: context. Right. Yeah. I love that. It's definitely about relevance. Um, and, and it seems to me that, you know, if you do this well and you get all the ingredients right and the cake rises, then you can achieve what, what we call flow. Yes. And I know you've spoken about flow before, really interested to see what flow means in, in chip's world. How do you d- define it? How do you know when you're in flow? How do you get there?
1: So let's talk about flow for a moment. So I was lucky enough ten years ago to um, spend three three days in Montana with a guy named Mahali Chick sent me um, high, who popularized the idea of flow in a book called Flow. Many years ago, um, he's also known as Mike, so I'm going to call him Mike. Okay. Yeah. So Mike, uh, let me come up to hang out with him and his wife at their Montana um, river cabin. You know, in the summer. And what I learned from Mike was really interesting. So first of all, let's define a flow. Flow is when you're in a state where everything seems to be happening quite naturally. And it feels like you've tapped into something, some level of power that is bigger than you. Uh, You often, during a flow state, are so immersed in it that you lose track of time and everything else. Mm -hmm. So generally, it's something that you enjoy doing. So what he taught me, what Mike taught me in Montana... Was that um, if you think of a, think of an x and y graph, you know an x and y graph would be there's a vertical um, axis, and then mm-hmm. there's a horizontal axis. Mm-hmm. When you're in flow, it's like a line that's going out at 45 degrees. Mm-hmm. So it means that you actually are that what, on the, the vertical axis is uh, skill, and on the horizontal axis is time. And what you actually have to do is you actually have to build skill, which actually have to be, means you have to learn. And then once you learn, over time, you get better at it. Mm-hmm. So in order for a person to be effective and successful and in flow, it means you have to be willing to go through the process of learning something new. right? And that means at times, at first, it, you may be awkward. it may, You may be failing at it. But you build a skill, and then over time, you get better at it. And so... The way I look at flow and the flow diagram is a growth mindset, which we talked about. The mm-hmm. idea of being open to learning mm-hmm. it's not focused on proving yourself. You're focused on improving yourself. Expands the size of that flow channel. So the bigger the flow channel, it means the more willing you are to actually go up And over, up and over, up and over, and that you know, basically, up and over, up and over on an x and y graph basically means you're moving at a 45 degree angle. Right. And so, uh, the 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 smaller the flow channel, the less willing you are to actually go up very far and over. So it, it makes it makes the process of getting into flow much more difficult.
0: So yeah, that's
1: I wish I had I wish I had a whiteboard here I could yeah, show, no, it's, show it's your great, your, yeah. your your listeners.
0: Because we wanna you know it's something we wanna help people to try and harness and and, 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 and as we get older, you know, sometimes our relationship with risk can change and if flow is about taking on risks and, and putting yourself out there to achieve flow, you know, it's, it's just an important part of the process to think through.
1: Yeah, and let's be, um, be thoughtful. I mean, I love, the, I love your. this is all about being on the wild side. Um, yeah. uh, I, I think sometimes if you find that you're not getting into flow very quickly... Uh, keep at it but there may be some things that you're nat- more naturally talented at Right. The, and so uh, it, it doesn't mean you try something and just continually flail at it yep. over and over and over there's a new book called um, Suck at Something I think is what it's called it's basically this woman who's, who's, who happens to be a surfer and she's a right. bad surfer and right. she's been bad surfing for a long time but her her point of view is it's really good to actually suck at something <laughs> yeah. because it means you're actually trying something new Yep. If you if five years into it you're still sucking at it, maybe you're never gonna get into a flow zone on that one and you need to pick up something else. But yeah. the idea that you're gonna try something is something that we do as children. Uh, again, as children, we're willing to try things. L- think about the the first time you were tr- learning how to walk. No one was pointing at you and laughing and saying, oh, look at the little right. baby, isn't able to actually walk yet. Th- they may have been actually laughing at you because it was sort of funny, yeah. but they yeah. weren't laughing, they were laughing more with you than <laughs> yeah. at you. Yeah. Um, and so I think as kids, we're willing to try things and flail yeah. Um, yeah. because that's what we do as kids. As adults, we get more into the mindset that we're supposed to know it and do it and not look stupid. Um, And I think that that's what leads to people actually having a more and more narrow life as they get older.
0: Yeah. That's great. I'm going to start to bring it to a close now. So just a couple of final questions. This was just for fun because we, we, you know, we love the, the, the concept of a gap year, you know, yes. and, and it's something that people take when they're younger between college years, and we love the idea of, of, of doing it for, for people who are in midlife, you know, for all of the, the, the right reasons. So let's say you, um, you won a fully funded um, uh, gap year for a year, mm. um, funded by the wild, let's say. Mm. Where are you going to go? What are you going to do? What do you hope to achieve?
1: That's a great question. Um, So I think if I had a fully funded gap year and I was not going to do something that was specific to the Modern Elder Academy, I think I'd probably go around the world and experience pilgrimages. Um, Now, there's some pilgrimages that are well known, like the Camino de Santiago in you know northern Spain, uh, which is a Catholic pilgrimage, but there's actually a, an island in Japan where you can actually walk from Buddhist temple to Buddhist temple, and I would probably do that. I'd go and there's a pilgrimage in in uh, Peru, at fifteen thousand feet, uh, that people do every year. Pilgrimages, B- Burning Man, uh, which is actually happening, mm-hmm. uh, uh, you know, right this time of the year in the fall uh, or late summer. Um, Burgundy man is a a form of a pilgrimage. Why are pilgrimages interesting to me? It's because there's a devotional quality. When someone actually is willing to put themselves up and devote themselves to something, and usually a pilgrimage has walking involved, but it doesn't have to. It does mean actually going somewhere Mm -hmm. that's hard to get Mm -hmm. to. Um, I went to the Kumbh Mela Festival, uh, which is the largest pilgrimage in the world, 100 million people over the course of 55 days, um, it's a Hindu festival in India. And when you see what people's way of being is at a festival, you see, gosh, there's this kind of collective effervescence that comes right. out. Yeah. And collective effervescence is a, a term that's about 100 years old uh, and studied by a guy who studied pilgrimages. And he basically what he saw is that in a pilgrimage, people actually sense of ego separation yep. evaporates. And the sense of communal joy especially if you're doing something together with a common purpose, actually starts to actually um, erupt. And so collective effervescence speaks to the idea that somehow in that pilgrimage, you feel a sense of connection with something much bigger than you. Right. Um, I think that's what happens at our modern elder Academy. Mm -hmm. And so I I would probably go and spend a year having collective effervescence.
0: Why not? Yeah. yeah, Why not? Yeah, Yeah. That'd be wonderful. Um, yeah. I mean, as designers and architects, um, um, we're constantly trying to think of how to um, come up with new and progressive ways to design for the modern elder. You yeah. know, we think the senior housing and care industry is, 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 um, is, is going to have to shift in some ways. And I'm interested, when you look through the lenses of your um, hospitality lens and, and festivals lens, you know, any, have you got any ideas on how traditional senior housing and care Need, can 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 change, or what has to happen to make it more relevant to to the people who are coming through the academy and, and and modern elders in general?
1: Well, there's so many things. I, I'm asked to give speeches at, at uh, senior housing conferences a lot. I think I'd say three key things. Number one is figure out how to create some intergenerational connections. The idea that we have this age apartheid, you know, where we just sort of put them out to pasture, and yeah. and they don't actually have as much connection with other generations. That that's an idea whose time has come, has come to be retired. <laughs> you know, we need, we need to help create more intergenerational collaboration mm-hmm. at all ages. Um, secondly, uh, why not create a co-working facility in a senior housing uh, operation? Great what idea. does that mean? I was like, okay, it means like if you're a part-time consultant uh, and you do it maybe two days a week, wouldn't you appreciate if there was a co-working space within there that you actually felt like you've got the perfect internet, you're actually at some desks with other people who are doing their work, it's an interesting way for people to feel like, okay, I'm still relevant. Thirdly, create a school. I mean, create your own school. Create a right. curiosity school. Create a place where people actually go and learn something new. Um, make sure you've got an art studio so people can actually go and, and learn art at a later age. Uh, have a recording studio so people can actually learn to sing as a group or individually. Yeah. Um, have an amazing library and uh, help people to live by the Peter Drucker uh, principle, which is every two years. Peter Drucker was a management theorist, mm-hmm. sort of created management theory in the modern age, um, and he basically said every two years you should learn something new, learn something that you you are fascinated by that has nothing to do with your career. Yeah, I love that. So I think if you did those three things, you would create much more vibrant places, places where people feel a sense of vitality, mm-hmm. as opposed to a sense of you know the later years of life being about you know. Uh, wasting their time which is what happens so, for so many people later in life they have a lot of time but they don't actually know how to use the time
0: yeah and it's, and it's the one true resource yeah you know so we really got to help people to we got to design for that you know yes. that's, that's a great answer thank you so we're coming to a close um, before I ask the, the final question where can our audience find you
1: ChipConley.com
0: uh, is where I
1: can be found online, but also I have a, um, a LinkedIn profile and I write articles there. So I, you know, you can read some of my articles there. You can find me on Twitter, uh, Facebook, etc. And then our Modern Elder Academy is modernelderacademy.org. Uh, and there's a Modern Elder Academy Facebook group. It's a private group. All you do is answer three, four questions quite simply, and you're in it. And it's a really vibrant group with over 2000 people from all over the world.
0: Right. Fantastic. The, the, the concept of a model elder, I think it's getting such attention. It's, it's so prescient. And, and, and thank you for the work. You know, it, it's really creating a groundswell and it's fantastic to be part of it. It's fantastic to, to be able to spend time with you. And I think one of the reasons it's so prescient and one of the thing one of the reasons it's getting such a response is but is essentially we're all stakeholders. You know, mm. I'm 46. You know, there's people who are much younger than me who are paying attention to this as a subject the more people listen to this, the more people are starting to think, how do I set myself up for success Mm. through the life stages? And it's fantastic. It's exciting. Um, And you said that search engines are very good at giving answers, but a wise sage um, will offer the right question. Mm. So if there was one question that we should be asking ourselves to set ourselves up for success, or at least set set ourselves onto the right course for success towards later life, Mm. what would it be?
1: I think it would be, it's a question I mentioned earlier, and, and then I'm going to say I have a follow-on to that, which is what percentage of your adult life is still ahead of you? And what is it that you always dreamed that you wanted to do that you could actually start preparing for now? And, you know, it's amazing how our dreams often fade uh, as we get older. And I I, I think the, one of the ways that will make maturity and aging aspirational again is to realize that if we get more time back later in life, you actually have space uh, and time to potentially dream again and, and you know act on those dreams. One of the reasons midlife is a challenging time at, at, for many people is because there's so much on people's plates. Mm-hmm. And later in life, you get some time back. And wouldn't it be great to actually dream about something that you could actually do at age 75 or 85 or 95 that you'd always wanted to do? There's a woman who recently wrote her, uh, a poetry book at age 101, and she, it was her first book she'd ever put out, and at, at age 101, she'd always dreamed about having a poetry book out there in the public, and now she does.
0: Right. That's wonderful. That is a, uh, uh, an inspiring um, answer and, and a piece of wisdom from, from a, a true modern elder. Wow, Chip Connolly, thank you very much for joining us. Thank it's you, Chris. Thanks
1: for coming to uh, Austin and
0: joining me. It's a pleasure. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks again to Chip for his friendship, guidance, and just for being a great human being. We highly recommend the Modern Elder Academy and Chip's books. You can find Chip at Chipconley.com, LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, and the themodernelderacademy.org. And the Modern Elder Academy also has a Facebook group, which is really vibrant and worth checking out. You can always find us at wildpeople.com or Instagram at wildpeople. And since we recorded that great episode with Chip, I've actually been down to the Modern Elder Academy in Baja, had a fantastic time, and I wrote an article about it. It's called Fully Alive at the Modern Elder Academy. You can find it on our website, wildpeople.com, in the press section. And good news, we're bringing Chip to the wild in New York in May this year. That's May 29th. Uh, It's a private workshop on Governor's Island with the option of glamping. Yep, glamping limited to 20 people, if you're interested in doing that, just email me It's cb at wildpeople.com. Thanks for listening and stay wild.